Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, it's Lakers Friday weekend show here on Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. I am Dan Bespris, your host. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, but you guys have already done that. We, uh, just trying to hang on to Twitter follows this time of year. But again, thank you guys for listening. I said it on yesterday's show, I'll say it again, I, uh... I'm pretty excited at how far ahead of pace we are this offseason compared to previous ones. This will be most likely for any sort of non-lead-up to draft month. This will be the biggest, the most listened to down month in the history of the podcast. Meaning no fantasy-relevant games happened this month. And we are... We're not at free agency yet, because that's when people start to a little bit pay attention. Not not all the way, but like if you look at last year, free agency was in August instead of July, and, and there was an uptick and so forth. Um, man, I, I'm very excited about what this portends. So thank you, everybody. You guys are amazing. Uh, please do follow our buddies over at Ethos Fantasy BB and Ethos Fantasy FB on Twitter. I will beg you repeatedly... Until you actually do it. It's going to happen. I know it. One of you guys is going to do it. Ah, come on. Come on. Just go. Just go do it. Just go do it. Just go do it. Come on. Ethos Fantasy FB. Ethos Fantasy BB. Did you do it? I hope you did it. I'm going to flip the order on today's show. We're going to do Lakers first. And then we'll get into the playoffs as sort of the second half of the program update you on what's going on across the NBA, the actual what's happening, legitimate NBA landscape. And of course, we got a game tonight to break down as well. And then after that, I don't know, it's a little bit nebulous, I suppose. In any event, this is a really loaded team. And there isn't a great way to break down the Lakers because there's... The, the number of rumors swirling around the purple and gold is nuts. But what I can point to from this last season is that the Lakers had two season-long fantasy-relevant basketball players, and those players were LeBron James and Anthony Davis. However, those two guys combined, combined played 97 out of 164 potential ball games, LeBron missed 26. Anthony Davis missed 41. Anthony played exactly half the season. From a per-game standpoint, AD actually still got to his mark. He was getting drafted towards kind of the end of the first round, beginning of the second round. He was number 10 on a per-game basis. But by totals, he was a total disaster. So you could kind of understand the folks that took a swing on him and that's what you had to do around the turn this year. And it's why so many teams that had picks in the 10, 11, 12, which also meant they had 13, 14, 15 range, had such disastrous fantasy seasons because these guys just didn't survive. Anthony Davis, half the year. Dame, a third of the year. Paul George, a third of the year. Bradley Beal, half the year. Jimmy Butler, like 
60% of the year. So probably the best of the bunch. I mean, that's like, that's a stretch. I didn't look up his number. Maybe he was a little bit higher than that. I don't know. What I am looking at right now as we speak is the Lakers stuff. When those guys were out, there were other opportunities on the table. Malik Monk had some really nice stretches this year. Overall, he finished at 122, but a lot of that was because, yeah, some of those games, LeBron and AD actually did play. You know, for many, as many as they missed, they still played together, combined, not together, that's the wrong word. Total of 97, so more than half that they could have. They didn't overlap very well, but they were out there. And when those two dudes were on the floor... No one else even sniffed fantasy value because they moved, Frank Vogel did, guys in and out of the starting lineup, pairing them with LeBron and AD, trying to figure out what lineups actually made sense. Melo mostly came off the bench. He was 109 on the year. Overall, actually had a pretty solid fantasy season, slightly better steals and blocks than we expected. But again, just like with Malik Monk, most of his damage was done when someone was out. There just aren't enough shots available for anybody else when LeBron and AD are out there combining to take about 40 of them. And then when you add in the third and most poorly fit cog of the bunch, Russell Westbrook is taking 16 shots a game. By the way, he finished 9-cat per game, 224. Yeah. Woo. That's bad even by our assessments. Well, I, th- I think I had him in like the 100 to 160 range, 224. I mean, that anybody that could have looked that low on him. Luckily, he's always going to get drafted too soon because of the points, boards, and assists. He's going to get pulled up the draft board by points leagues and eight category leagues, mostly points because his percentages are rat duty. And that'll pull his ADP up. It'll pull his X rank up. And so even in nine cat leagues, he'll end up going too soon because he's just there on the board at a point too high. He'll just appear on everybody's draft board because that's what the big box site is pushing in the face too soon because of all of those leagues where it's not that insane of an overreach. Like in a points league, Russell Westbrook was a pretty good player this year. Crazy though that may seem. He played in 78 out of 82 games. If you wipe out both percentages for him, he becomes a functional fantasy player. I think he was like just inside the top 100 if you're punting both percentages. Huge jump forward. If you're punting both percentages and turnovers, he's a fifth rounder. So that's basically what he is. In a points league, he was like a fourth or fifth rounder who was durable somehow. But that's not what I play, and that's not what we're breaking down. I listen to L.A. Sports Talk Radio. I'm not in the car that much, but I drive to and from my kids' preschool three times a day. Drop off both kids in the morning at the same time, pick up the little one in the middle of the day, pick up the bigger one a little bit later in the day. So when you roll all of that together, I'm probably in the car for about an hour, all told. I'm, I'm very lucky that preschool is, is less than 10 minutes away, and then there's you know some stopping and waiting for kids to get in or out of the car and so on and so forth. So it, it ends up as like 20 minutes roughly where I'm hearing the radio. I bring this up because every day there's a different discussion on whether or not Russ is going to be on the Lakers next year. You know, five days ago, he wasn't going to be on the Lakers. Then yesterday, then 
he was. And then five, 10 days before that, Phil Jackson apparently likes Russ, and now he's advising things, and so maybe he's going to stay. Here's the thing. Here's what I believe to be happening and why everybody started taking the bait. I believe that Phil Jackson, though he's not, he hasn't been the world's greatest general manager. You know, he did draft Kristaps Porzingis at four, I think it was, in New York. That actually ended up being a, a pretty good pick if dude could stay on the floor. I think he would have been one of the best players in that draft. Um, say what you want about his GM ability. He's not an idiot. Phil Jackson's not an idiot. He's probably a bit arrogant, super weird, all that stuff likely true, and for a long stretch, maybe the best ego manager in the NBA. Maybe the best ego manager in NBA history. Truly. I don't think he has that touch anymore. But what I do believe is happening here is there was... There was too much hand-tipping going on on the Lakers' side. And I know it sounds nuts to those of you that are not in this L.A. market, that aren't being saturated with these discussions every day, but people are now, and maybe, maybe national media has picked up on it as well. I don't think they have, but I also don't pay that close attention to national media. Locally, the discussion of whether or not to keep Russ over about the last three weeks went from no chance, disaster, you can't do it, you are throwing away maybe the last, second to last, whatever you want to call it, year of LeBron's career, one which will ultimately be either the best or second best career in the history of the NBA. You can't do it. I know that, you know, that's what everybody's looking at. Like, what if you just wait one year, Russ comes off the books. You can't do it. You can't do it. So what the Lakers have done, and I think this is Phil, because it doesn't seem like the rest of them had this part figured out. By the way, give the Lakers credit for all the, the idiotic things they did last offseason. And really, the Russ trade was the one that trickled down into all the other ones. They've been able to keep things pretty buttoned up since then. Nobody knows what the hell they're working on. And then they ended up doing nothing at the trade deadline. But what I think we had happen, and I'm beating around the bush here a little bit, is that I'm pretty sure Phil came in and Phil said, here's what I need you guys to do. I need you guys to all close your mouths completely. Don't say a word to anyone about anything. What I'm going to do is I'm going to leak that I like Russell Westbrook. And then what I need you guys to do after that, this again is Phil talking to the rest of the Lakers front office, what I need you guys to do after that is when someone inevitably asks you, hey, does Phil like Russell Westbrook? Your reply is, we are figuring out our coaching situation and that coach is going to figure out what to do with someone like Russ. And all of a sudden now the story has pivoted from the Lakers are going to detonate this and will take a an actual human-sized hill of beans for Russ just to get off of his contract and just get anyone else in town besides him. The conversation has shifted from that to who are the Lakers going to hire as head coach and then what is what does that mean for the roster? 
Has it made Russ easier or harder to trade? Maybe, maybe not. What I will say that it, it hasn't made him harder to trade. Has it made him easier? Eh, probably not. But maybe, even if it's infinitesimally small. It would make it easier. Because now all of a sudden, other teams start to think, oh, all right, well, this team is resigned to just keeping Russ. It's probably not true. They know at the end of the day the Lakers would prefer to go into next season without him. But there has to be at least a fleeting belief, even if it's 5% or 10% or whatever, there has to be a fleeting belief among the NBA circles that the Lakers could just ride out Russ. I mean, hell, they could just sit him. They could send him home John Wall style for the year. Just play young guys. And then by next season, they'll have all that money to go do whatever. They don't want to do that because of the LeBron timeline thing. And because it's been now a couple years, Lakers won the championship in 2020. They don't want to wait until 2023 to be a, a team competing again. LeBron will be quite old by that point. Yikes. I think it'll be 39 that year, right? Oh, maybe I'm off by a year. All I know is that as of right now, the Lakers still do desperately want to get rid of Russell Westbrook. But what they're doing is more of a step-by-step. Instead of just jumping from point A to point B, point A being we have Russ, point B being we don't, they've added a few points in between where point B is now Convince the league we might not trade him. Plant stories. Follow up those stories with little nuggets that change the discussion. I don't actually know if they'll start next season with Russell Westbrook. I know that they don't want to. I don't believe any of the stuff about the head coach having control of. I mean, there are stories coming out now about how Russ never bought into Frank Vogel's offense. And as long as he continues to want the ball in his hands, there's just no way this thing works. The problem, what they needed Russ for was so that LeBron could play 29 to 32 minutes a game. And then Russ would be the primary for 18 minutes a night. He's just not a good enough scorer anymore at this point of his career to be an off-ball threat alongside LeBron James, and he's an horrendous three-point shooter, which you also kind of need to be if you're going to play alongside LeBron. Space the damn floor, or make your freaking layups. Going into next season, I don't know how you draft anyone in the Lakers not named LeBron or Anthony Davis. I don't think the Lakers are blowing it up. I don't think they're trading LeBron or AD. You just don't get players of that caliber very often. And you never get good enough return on a superstar trade, ever. Whether or not the team was winning this season when they were on or off the floor, I mean, the the pieces were so terribly mismatched all the way across the roster. They had way too many undersized shooting guards trying to space the floor with LeBron and AD. And, you know, sometimes they could put up some points, but they couldn't actually defend anybody. And then other nights, if the shots weren't dropping, they couldn't do either thing. You'll see more Austin Reeves next year. That'll be something good for them. Stanley Johnson was a decent addition midseason, and THT showed some signs as the year went on, 
but these guys are not difference makers. Malik Monk loved his time in L.A. He'll probably be back and with kind of a similar role when guys are out. He'll be a fill-in type play. I don't know what the story's going to be on Carmelo Anthony. I mean, maybe, I don't know. Malik Monk had such a lovely time, but he was on a, a very small deal. He'll probably be looking for more money. Kendrick Nunn could show up. Maybe we see him play next season. Again, I just don't know how anybody has enough usage to create impact. I have no idea. And if Russ gets traded, think back a couple seasons to when Russ wasn't there. Was there a third Laker? That actually had fantasy value. I mean, look back at their championship year, the COVID shutdown and then reemergence bubble season. The third best fantasy player that year on the Lakers was Danny Green. JaVale McGee playing 17 minutes a game sniffed fantasy value and and actually had some when Anthony Davis was out. Kuz wasn't close. KCP wasn't close. This team has been a two-horse machine since LeBron and AD came together. The only thing that's changed since then is that LeBron actually got more effective offensively, added more steals and threes, just a juggernaut, and Anthony Davis stopped hitting free throws. He can't make them anymore. He was an 85% or two years ago. Now he's at 76%, that, or 71%, sorry. That's a huge drop-off for somebody taking 6 to 10 a game. So it'll be the same kind of story next year. Whether or not Russ is there, he's a disaster. It's a disaster. Um, so you're looking at the same stuff. Where's LeBron going to be? Where's AD going to be? Anthony Davis is going to keep falling because he hasn't been healthy in forever. LeBron is going to go very early. People are going to hope that he gets to 62 to 66 games this year. And then if he does, he probably gets close. AD's the big swing play. I, ooh, man, I don't know how you do it. But if he falls towards the end of the second round, I really don't know how you stop yourself. Especially in games cap roto. Head-to-head, those guys are both going to be really hard to deal with. Ugh. Well, and then there was one series remaining in the conference finals. Warriors finished off the Mavericks 120-110. to Wrapping that one up, we, uh, we had the Warriors lean for the cover. They hit that. We thought, I think I said I thought the game might creep under but I I believe my phrasing was what's going to win out the Warriors desire to play at a faster pace or the fact that the series has been going now and the teams are starting to make some light adjustments I thought Dallas was going to shoot worse than they did in the last ball game that happened but the game was moving at a pretty good clip about the same actually as some of the previous games like 105 to 110 possessions per club so that got you pretty close to the expected total, and then the Warriors were just super efficient. Made all of their free throws, not a big number of turnovers, 51% of their shots. They uh, they did a lot. With 108, 106 possessions, they went way over their, their own personal mark. So that series is done. We don't have a price on the next one because Miami and Boston isn't over yet. Boston is favored by 8.5 at home with a total of 201. Um, you know, I think most of the Heat and Celtics players are going to try to give it a go. Tyler Hero is questionable. He's the only one that uh, feels like has a pretty good chance to sit. But I don't know. On an elimination game, he might give it a go. Either way, expectation here is that Boston has figured this thing out. Uh, I have no reason to believe that they haven't. But I do think Miami's going down swinging. I just I wonder if the Heat run out of gas. 
They might. They may run out of gas. That's a ooh, that's a hard one, man. Eight and a half is a big number to cover in an elimination game. Even if it's at home. It's down from nine, by the way. Opening number was nine. Money's still ever so slightly coming in on the Celtics. Yeesh. And a total now at 201. How low can you go? 173 was the last one. Boston's going to try to slow this thing down. They've been pretty effective at that on their own court. Miami had 94 field goal attempts in that last ballgame. Obviously, that was a number that was inflated uh, by the fact that they couldn't make a shot. So there were offensive rebounds, short things, putback, stuff like that. Made most of their very few free throws. I just I have no idea how another game goes that low. But at the same time, um, oh boy, it does feel like Boston's kind of sorted out the whatever it is Miami's throwing at him at this point. Can the Heat make some jump shots? I just I can't imagine them being this bad again. Has the total now finally caught up to the game, to the game speed? Boston only had about 98 possessions in that last ball game. They they had a much slower game than Miami because again, you know, more free throws, more turnovers, but also just not shooting an ungodly low percentage from the field. So they didn't have quite as many O boards, put back opportunities, very short possessions, things like that. Oh man. Miami wants to get this thing open. They're gonna have a lot of trouble doing that. Boston knows that. As long as they stick to their guns and slow this thing down, they're going to win it. I don't like this, the total at all. Probably would lean ever so slightly Miami on the side if we're kind of thinking that they they have a few punches left in the tank. But it does really kind of also feel like, like Boston sorted this thing out. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I can't do it. I got to leave this one alone. I'm sorry, guys. I should have had something for you on the betting side, but I don't. Sometimes it's okay to just leave it alone. And then I would love to give you some sort of series price, uh, but we won't have that. Not until... Oh, my God. When does the... Oh, the finals is like a week away. If Boston wraps this thing up, I think we have like six days off before a finals game. Oh, no, not this thing again. NBA, you got to... I know. I know we got to get everybody healthy for the finals, but good Lord with these playoffs. They're just... Time in between games is soul-crushing, and then we're going to build in this. Anyway, congrats to the Warriors. They made it. They got healthy. They got healthy in, in time. They had their guys for the postseason run. And they looked ready for it at the beginning of the year. I really thought Phoenix was going to be there against them in this series. I got to give Dallas a, a ton of credit. I know that they couldn't get past the Warriors. Luka needed some help. The Warriors were just sort of smarter at dealing with it. Which... Man, I, Phoenix. That's that was that's rough, man. I don't, Phoenix blowing that game seven. I I couldn't. I still couldn't believe that. Anyway, doesn't really matter. Uh, I'll let you guys roll into your weekend on a slightly shorter show. It's the Lakers episode, which mostly is just crushing them for not having fantasy value for more than a couple weeks at a time. Still, here's the thing: like 
Just because the other guys in the Lakers don't have fantasy value for the entire year doesn't mean you just completely ignore them. It means that you put them down on a little sideboard. You can even put them on your watch list going into the season. You just don't have to draft them. There's no reason to spend draft capital on someone who's not going to be good on night one, but you know AD's going to miss time. You know LeBron is going to miss some time, so those opportunities are going to pop up. Just kind of be ready for them when they do. And that's it. Maybe I'll throw like a 10-minute show out there when we get the final series price, or maybe i just save it for Monday. We got all next week. What's the rush? Next week, we'll keep moseying our way through these teams. I still have ADP results to break down from this last year. I haven't gotten to that yet, and I... Oh, boy, I wonder... I might just start writing these numbers down because Yahoo at some point is going to close their NBA data. I hope they don't do that before the finals are over, but they might. I don't know. I mean, they're trying to cover up the fact that they changed their pre-ranks, so why wouldn't they just shut the whole thing down? Bo-ba-do-bo-bo. I'm Dan Vespers. This is Fantasy NBA Today, Sports Ethos presentation. Hey, don't forget to follow our basketball, baseball, football, all the good ones together. Don't forget. It's going to be pretty exciting when you get football rank boards and baseball rank boards and basketball rank boards all on the same premium product. Just saying. Hey, shout out, by the way. This uh, We are recruiting in the offseason. This would be the perfect time to get yourself involved because your competition to get involved is much less right now. Those folks aren't paying attention. Hit me up on Twitter, at Dan Bespers, or email support at sportsethos.com for more information on how you can get involved on any of our sports. Basketball, baseball, football, you name it. We're looking for you. Sharp minds out there. I, uh, once again, am Dan Baspers. Have a great weekend, everybody. 35 off-season shows in the tank. And only I have no idea how many more. So long, everybody. So long, everybody.